Hey, it's another Flushy Transit Authority. How's it going, Will? It's going great, Jay. Happy Jackie Robinson Day. Oh, that's right. It's April 15th. It's the day where it's very hard to uh, finish your box score because <laughs> everybody's wearing number 42. Um, while I'm not going to be able to see the Mets in person today, I am going to Dodger Stadium. So I'll do my best to keep track of the players while I'm there. Good luck. Good luck uh, at that. Thank you. Jay, before we get into the meat of this episode, I have sort of an embarrassing correction to make. Oh. Um, in a previous episode, we stated that former Mets outfielder Bernard Gilkey, my favorite member of the 1996 Mets, um, I mistakenly said that Bernard Gilkey was kidnapped by aliens following the 96 season. Um, it turns out... I was confused. That was the movie Men in Black. Um, right. I apologize to Mr. Gilkey. I apologize to the entire Gilkey family. I apologize to aliens for uh, suggesting they may have done this. They did not. I don't know, though. If I were an alien and I was going to kidnap any member of the 1996 Mets team, it probably would be Bernard Gilkey. He would be high on my list. Bernard Gilkey would be there. Uh, Lance Johnson. If Was Rico Bronia still on the 96 <laughs> Mets? I would maybe make a play for Rico Bronia. Um, although he may have been in Philadelphia by then. I can't recall. But anyway, I apologize to everyone involved with the film Men in Black. As Tommy Lee Jones would say, he cannot sanction this tomfoolery. <laughs> Okay, so uh, business uh, out of the way, we've got baseball. The season has begun. Actual, factual games. We have had real games that matter. Um, you know, should we do a little quick recap of where the Mets stand right now? Uh, sure. Well, good news. We're recording today. It's April. It's the morning of April 15th. The Mets have played 11 games. They currently stand at a robust 7-4 and four at the top of the National League East. Um, but I'm just so happy to have games back. Uh, I mentioned on a previous episode that I generally don't look at standings until June, but I have to confess that I I've been peaking a little bit. Um, Me too. Yeah. I do two things. One is I look at standings way too early. Mm -hmm. Two, I look at the schedule and I project wins and losses. Right, and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta take you to task here. Um, you did predict a 162 and 0 season, and uh, and unfortunately, that is not going to pass. I would like to amend that prediction. 158 and four. Okay. 158 and four. It's still gonna happen. Um, That's reasonable. Yep. There we go. 158 and four. We're going undefeated the rest of the year. I'm not playing for the team. My only goal in doing this podcast was to never say we in conjunction with the team, and I've already blown that. The Mets are going to go undefeated for the rest of the season, and I'm going to enjoy it. But let's talk about the games that have happened right. so far. So what are some of the, what are some of the highlights uh, for you of the, uh, the games that we've seen so far? Well, you know, for starters, I love when opening day is at home. It somehow feels more special when the team opens at home. Um, Me too. So, you know, it was good to to get that game underway, to get the... You know, the Mets historically have been great on opening day since basically the late 60s. I know that they dropped 
their first, is it first seven or first nine opening day games? Something like that. And then have been basically historically um, amazing on opening day. No matter how bad the team was, opening day, Mets always look great. This year, pitcher's duel turns into pretty much an easy Mets win late in the game. And then you have that day after opening day. Okay, I'm really glad you brought that up because this is a thing that bothers me to no end. The Mets always, always in my lifetime, I cannot remember a season where this did not happen. Where opening day happens, and then we have a day off the day after that. Yes, and there's a reason why they do it. I mean, I, I've always heard that it was in case of rainouts. Yes, it's to ensure that they get that opening day um, box office. You know, in case it rains, they can play it the next day. However, the tickets are already sold. Yeah. Like, you're not counting on a walk-up crowd on opening day. And there are tons of other teams that don't do that. Yeah. Like, you know, they get their first game in, and then they get their second game in the next day, and we've waited so long for that first game, and then to have an off day right afterwards, I just, that's my, one of my least favorite days of the year. Yes. Is the day after opening day. Yeah. So, we don't need to go through every game the Mets have played so far, but I do want to stop in at game two of the year, where, one, our hero, Bartolo Colon, was back. How did you feel about the, um, the repeated standing ovations that he got, especially when he came up to... That. I think you can't cheer for Bartolo Colon enough. You know, even casual fans or people who, who don't really follow the game um, understand the joy of seeing Colon step up to the plate. I hope Bartolo Colon plays forever. He <laughs> is the best. So it was great to see him back, although the Mets lose that game, and immediately we spin into Panic City mode. Yes, it's always a wonderful reminder whenever the Mets have their first couple of losses how every piece of confidence or excitement that the fan base as a collective and, and the media sphere also as a, as a collective just goes out the window. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, you know, we're always waiting for that other shoe to drop. Right. And, you know, first losing streak, you know, the Mets lose that second game. They bounce back. Matt Harvey pitches a great game. Um or at least has a strong performance in the third game. And then they drop two in a row to the Marlins. The um, Marlins. The Marlins. Let's talk about the Marlins for a couple minutes. You know, I, for years, have always been very dismissive of the Marlins. Even when they're good, they, they've always seemed to be like, oh, they're the other team in the division. Mm-hmm. But last year's Marlins and this year's Marlins are pesky. They become that team. <laughs> the team that no matter how bad they're going or how good we're going, um, it's always going to be a tight game. It's right. always going to be well fought. And I've gained a, a healthy amount of respect uh, for them. They're not a they're an opponent that it's hard to hate. You can be frustrated by them. Man, they're so good. They're good, and there's a lot of players in that team that I really like. Me too. I mean, um, there are a lot of players on that team that I look at and I go, man, that would be really cool to have have them on our team. Yeah. Players like, I, I'm a really big admirer of a player like Kristen Yelich. I really like um, Yelich. Um, Yelich was great in the World Baseball Classic. Mm-hmm. Yelich um, really has been, has been growing as a player for the last couple of seasons, and... You know, I'm finally at the point where as I get older, I no longer get angry at players for being 
22 years old <laughs> yeah. and in the prime of their yeah. life. Yeah. And I just look at this and I'm like, wow, like mm-hmm. this kid is really good. I really hope he does well. And I just hope that when he plays the Mets, he goes 0 for 4. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, yeah. it's impossible to not look at Giancarlo Stanton and not just want to see him crush a baseball. Totally. Um, again, against anyone but the Mets. Right. It's not a situation. It's not like the Phillies. Well, like, the Phillies, the Phillies I'll are just always, be honest, the Phillies can, can burn in hell. There's something about the Phillies, and it's and it's not the it's not the current co- composition of the roster. It's always been like this between the Mets <laughs> and the Phillies, and and that that there's just a, an enmity there. Although I will say, after the past couple of weeks, I would not mind if the Mets played more of their home games at Citizens Bank Park. Yes, let's just move the whole team sure. down the 95. And so speaking of the Phillies, um, to me, the, the turning point so far in this young season came in the, uh, in the seventh game against the Phillies. And it's the moment when uh, Ramos threw at Estrubal Cabrera. I didn't remember this at the time, but late last year, um, Cabrera hit a big home run against the Phillies. Um, Ramos was on the mound. And Cabrera gave a bat flip for the ages. The bat flip was a bit egregious. and I, But I forgot about it. Ramos clearly did not forget about it. So in a, in the game this week, he just let one sail over Cabrera's head, and you can see Cabrera basically say, "I'm going to tone this down." What the heck was that? Yeah. And my favorite part of the whole thing was Phillies catcher Cameron Rupp, who grabbed Cabrera and was like, "I know it's going to be okay." Like he was soothing as Dribble Cabrera, yes. like. Calm down, here's a biscuit, like here's a pat on the head, it's gonna be fine. Yeah. But the fascinating thing is that for the first six and two thirds games, the Mets offense was pretty much asleep. Mm-hmm. And this is a thing that drives me nuts about this team, is that when they don't hit, they're not just bad, they're boring. And for the first six games, they were pretty boring at the plate. Yeah. And then it was like, Ramos throws at Cabrera, and everybody wakes up. And they certainly so, woke up the next day. Certainly woke up the next day. Jay Bruce is hitting everything in sight. Yo finally, like, starts hitting everything in sight. Duda is trying to, like, set records every game with, like, how far he can hit home runs. Yep. You've also got a couple of, um, Jarno had a solid start of the season, um, Conforto, in a limited role, has really done well. I, I do not want to get into the whole Michael Conforto saga well, at this point. I, I, think we, I think we have to. It's think, one of those things where I see all these people complaining, he has to play more, he has to play more. Who, yes, who are you going to sit down? Exactly. You have you're in a Cespedes, you're not sitting him down. No. Jay Bruce is knocking the cover off the ball. Curtis Granderson produces. Curtis Granderson first of all, is an angel sent from heaven, (laughs) and he produces, I hate to say this, but chances are very good Granderson's not going to be here next year. Yeah, this problem is going to solve itself, and all it requires is patience, and patience, unfortunately, is something that Mets fans are not really known for having. Well, Um, yeah. Yes. So, you know, I'm much more concerned, like, hey, I'd love to have the problem of having four outfielders who can hit. Um, You know, do we need to go back and look at outfield alignments years past? 
Please um, don't. Exactly. Please don't. I mean, and someone's going to get hurt. Like, someone's going to you know, get traded. Someone's going to not resign. Like, like, this has been an ongoing problem that the Mets have not found a solution for for a couple of years, which is, you know, who belongs in center field. Right. And part of this is the fallout from you know, the Carlos Gomez trade not happening two years ago. And I think we're all really thrilled with how that ended up working out, um, getting getting Cespedes instead. So I'm not worried. This is going to take care of itself. Yeah, this will be fine. Yeah. Again, quality problem to have. I'm far more concerned right now about the problem at third base. I would be very happy with just, until further notice, handing over the everyday third base to a platoon of um, Rivera and Flores sitting Reyes down. It's pretty clear that the clock is ticking. For yeah. Jose Reyes. We'll see. It's it's still only April 15th. You know, they're going to give him till at least May 1st. But if May 1st rolls around and he's still not hitting at all, then they got to look at, uh, at alternate solutions. And I'm fairly certain by the end of this season, Jose Reyes will not be the Mets' everyday third baseman, whether or not that means David Wright has come back, which I think is highly unlikely. Um, whether or not that means they sit him in favor of a Flores-Rivera platoon, whether or not that means they make a trade to bring in an, another everyday third baseman, I'm fairly certain that Reyes's starting job will not last the season. Right. You know, another takeaway from their early part of the season is we all owe Jay Bruce an apology. <laughs> I don't, because if you remember, <laughs> one of the things I said uh, in a previous episode about my fears for the season is that Jay Bruce was going to be too good. I'm enjoying having him on the team and, and he's a great hitter. I would not mind if he is traded, but I am very much in a sell high mentality. Yes. And I almost feel like his value now is too high to do that. And the thing is, is, you know, and, and the, the broadcasters have been saying this a lot too. Um, Jay Bruce is a streaky player. He's always been a streaky player. So if you can make a deal for him now, do it because when June rolls around and he's hitting a buck thirty-seven for the month, uh, you're not going to get anything close to what you could get now. True. Nobody I, wants to make a trade for a big outfielder in April, though. So the odds of that happening are pretty pretty slim. I think that one thing I have to give Jay Bruce credit for, in addition to the fact that he's he's knocked the ball around so far, is Jay Bruce. I think has looked best with the postseason, the uh, postgame crown on. <laughs> Those of you who, who maybe follow the Mets closely on social media know that they replaced the player of the game wrestling style championship belt with a um, with a bejeweled crown this year. I would like to actually make the point that it technically should not be called a crown. It is technically a victory tiara, and I think that they should proudly embrace that. I, I wonder if anybody on the team is keeping track of who gets the crown the most this year, and if there's any type of sort of clubhouse um, wagering going on as to who's going to get it. I would not be surprised if there was. But, you know, good news is, again, we're 11 games into the season. Right. We're off. We're, we, I'm not on the team. I don't know if you noticed this. <laughs> I do not play for the Mets. The Mets are off to a great start, and it's, it feels good to be a Mets fan right now. 
So uh, one other uh, highlight of the early part of the season that we should talk about is just a couple days ago, the uh, the epic 16-inning game that they uh, won against the Marlins. And, you know, Hansel Robles is a guy that causes a lot of consternation in the fan base, but I always like to see Hansel succeed. Um, he's so excitable. He's so emotional. And he really chews that gum, too, yeah. doesn't he? I love an extra inning game. Like, when a game gets into the 12th and beyond, it just feels like, oh, we've turned into weird baseball. Like, <laughs> Rene Rivera's playing first. Anything can happen. You know, you're you're just basically, you're always, when is a position player going to come in to pitch? We were almost there. The story that was reported was that uh, Robles was... Not available to pitch that game. And he called down to the dugout to say that he was ready to go in. And Terry Collins apparently was planning on having Rene Rivera pitch the next inning. <laughs> that Rivera was going to pitch the next inning and Zach Wheeler was going to play first base. And I, could you imagine what would have happened if Zach Wheeler got hurt playing first base? Yeah. Like, after all he's been through, yeah. wrap him up in bubble wrap. Keep him safe. He looked much better in his second start. Draw a line through that first start. If I hadn't done something for two years, I don't think I would have uh, would have responded any better than he did. So we're going to talk about how we're feeling uh, right now and and for the next couple of weeks. But before we do that, we should take a moment to have a word from our sponsor for this episode. This episode of Flushing Transit Authority is sponsored by Bonilla Financial. Now, Jay, do you like money? Yeah, I'd say I do enjoy money. Do you sometimes want to take money and turn that money into more money? I would definitely love to do a better job of that. Now, would you like to do this without doing anything? That sounds perfect. Now, you need to go to Bonilla Financial. Now, this is a real Bonilla Financial testimonial from... Let me read this correctly. From Bobby B. from the Bronx. Bobby B. says, In 2000, I was going to get nearly $6 million. I went to Bonilla Financial, and I turned that into a lifetime of money. Contact Bonilla Financial. Use the promo code FLUSHING. If you have money, and you want to make more money, Okay, great. I'm gonna I'm gonna go over my finances and see if I can uh, maybe move uh, move an IRA over to Bonilla Financial. Yeah, I'm gonna see. Like, I, you know, I've been putting money away for retirement, but I think that's a sucker's game. I should just go to, to Bobby Bo Finance. Totally, it's it's the smart move. Right. It's I mean, how can it go wrong? Right. All right. Anyway, so Jane, let's talk. What's your Mets temperature right now? So I know that I said. Uh, previously that I don't like looking at the standings until June 1st, but I have to confess, I've, I've been looking this year and, and mainly for one reason, Mets schedule this year, the entire month of April is against division opponents. There are six games coming up with the Nationals in the next two weeks. This could get late really early this year. I always go back to, and, and I shouldn't do this, this is tempting fate, but I always go back to that 
late April series against the Cardinals in 1986 that the Mets swept all four games, and the division race was pretty much over by the end of April. I'm not saying this year's team is going to do that. I'm just saying the possibility is there, and that possibility is tantalizing. Now, I know the Nationals are going to have quite a bit to say about that, so I guess we'll see what happens, but I am, I am optimistic. I think that this is definitely going to be a two-team race, maybe a three-team race. Um, can't count those Marlins out. Cannot count the Marlins out. I do, like, you talk about that, that 86 series against the, Car- against the Cardinals, and I remember being, you know, 12 years old and watching that series on Channel 9 um, and seeing Howard Johnson just get turned loose on a Todd Worrell fastball to win that Friday night game. That basically, I don't remember the Mets ever looking back after that. Now, again, it's, it's the narrative sort of gets baked in over time. But we'll see. Like, let's see what happens. The Mets play the Nationals um, next week. Um, as luck would have it, I will be in City Field nice. um, for all three of those games next week. So, what have you seen so far of the team that concerns you? What are you worried about? Um, you know, I'm worried about the back end of the rotation. You know, for all of the talk about, hey, we have so much pitching. Um, you know, Robert Gesellman, um, short, you know, small sample size last year. So, you know, has word got out about him around the league? Um, you know, is Zach, how is Zach Wheeler going to do? He looked pretty good in his second start. But remember, this is somebody coming back off of a, of a two-year, um, you know, two-year shutdown, essentially. I'm always worried about the bullpen. Um, and I worry about what's going to happen at third base. Um, I worry the fact that Neil Walker hasn't really done a whole lot. There's always wor- there's always room for worry. Um, we are Mets fans. We are Mets fans. However, again, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's the W's that count. And through all of this trouble, there's still... They've managed to win seven games out of the first 11, despite all of our reasons for running around with our hair on fire. So I'm concerned, but no more so than I than I think is reasonable. Okay. That's a pretty good place to be mid-April, I think. Yeah, I feel like I go into every game right now thinking, like, oh, like, this is a, this is a, this is a solid possibility of a win. Um, no matter who's on the mound or who's in the lineup. I think that... You know, the beauty of information being readily available at our fingertips is terrific. But at the same time, it's probably information overkill. So, speaking about information, Mm -hmm. how do you feel about sabermetrics? How do you feel about this whole new generation of stats? We've said, like, hey, this show is not going to be a stat show. And we're not going to get... Super into stats. I couldn't tell you a BABIP from a FIP. I will tell you that I I like, I was sort of an early adopter, um, at least amongst, you know, my friends and family. So, I mean, the thing about stats of all kinds is that stats only work if they help tell a story about what happened. Yes. And we've talked about how what we want to focus on on this podcast is more of the story elements. And so I started thinking about, can we devise our own stat 
that focuses on the story aspects of a player of a season that takes into account our emotional connection at any given moment. And so here's what I've come up with. I've come up with a new stat, um, and I want to discuss this and, and, you know, take this out and kind of road test this and see how this works. Um, the stat is called FAR. And what, what FAR stands for is feelings above replacement. So for any given sort of player who's your, kind of your generic replacement player, how do you feel about this other player, positive or negative? So the, the, the way FAR works is it's a scale. Uh, the top of the scale is a positive 5.0, and the uh, bottom of the scale is negative 5.0. So your favoritist player in the world, uh, and I should also say that FAR is a, is a measure not of the players on your own team. Um, they are a measure of the players on opposing teams. So, Jay, if I understand this correctly, what we're measuring here is what do the players on the Mets opponents, what do those players make us feel, positive, negative, or neutral? Correct. Correct. And so I kind of came up with some bellwethers on the top and bottom end of of the scale. So uh, a positive 5.0 player. Uh, would be someone like, now that he's no longer on the team, Bartolo Colon. Sure. Like, he shows up, you love to see him, he fills you with joy, you don't want him to win, but, you know, the fact that he's playing in the game fills you with happiness. Um, another player who I would call uh, a positive 5.0, and this, this might be a little controversial, but I would call Chipper Jones a positive 5.0, because as much as we hated when Chipper Jones would beat the Mets when he was still playing for the Braves, you always knew that he loved the competition as much as we did. That the stuff that he would say to the media was all in fun. That he understood that the rivalry between the Mets and the Braves was a thing of joy. And he played into that, and, and he had so much fun with it. He embraced the role of being the villain and uh, did it with panache. I think that as Mets fans, now that Larry has retired, we've all sort of come to the conclusion that, like, oh, he's not so bad. But I think when you look at, like, the far scale, I think of the 5.0 positive as the players who, when you see they're coming to town, you look to get a ticket. Or... If you're in the house, you're there to make sure that player knows you're there. So it can be somebody like, you know, to use the Braves as an example, um, you know, 5.0 players, like when I saw that Greg Maddox was going to be coming to town and pitching against the Mets, like I wanted to go see that. That was appointment viewing. And it's like, you know, he's going to shut the team down, but we're seeing one of the all-time greats here. Right. With Chipper Jones, you're right. It's like the way he played into the Mets-Braves rivalry, which in retrospect wasn't really a rivalry. Like, right. the Mets came up at the short end of that, time after time. But when he was in the game, you stopped, and even if, even if you wanted to yell, you know, hey Larry, right, or just to boo him or to cheer if he made it out, like, he was a player who you paid attention to. So we were talking before about... about the Marlins, you know, and a player like Christian Yelich would be, you know, I'd give him maybe a 2.8 or a 3.1 far because, on a positive on scale. A positive scale. 
uh, a player like D. Gordon, who actually, I would say D. Gordon's year last year, his far had a wild swing where, you know, he got the, the, um, the suspension for, uh, for head use, which would have knocked his far score down to maybe probably like a negative two mm-hmm. or 1.8. But then after the, you know, the tragic death of Jose Fernandez and the, the way that D Gordon reacted, the, 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 the game that the Mets played against the Marlins the day after when he hit the second pitch, off of Bartolo for a home run and just the outpouring of emotion that, you know, his far score swung all the way up to the positive side. Yeah, you, you have to have a, a certain amount of respect that you carry for a player. Yeah. And because of that, like, I like this scale because it gives you a chance to really, like, recognize who some of those special players are. Right. Like, when I think of, like, who are my top, like, positive, like, Plus feelings above replacement players. The '98 era McGuire and Sosa. McGuire and Sosa. Like, yeah, yeah. It was almost a joy to see them hit a home run off of the Mets. Totally. Like, you know, taking the Armando Reynosos of the world deep. Um, all right, so so that's one end of the scale. But now let's talk about the other end of the scale, the negative end of the scale, where there are players that you just don't like. Now, and you can argue that. Some people might put Chipper Jones on the negative side. And that's one of the beauties of the of FAR as a stat, is that the scores are going to be all different for every individual And they're going to vary depending on who you're a fan of. Exactly. Like, and they're going to vary over time. I, as a Mets fan, would put Barry Bonds as a positive. Because, again, Barry Bonds coming to town, you get excited. If you're a Dodger fan, you may feel differently. Very much so. So, um, on the negative side, uh, a couple of examples of, of the extreme end. Negative 5.0. Like, if the scale could go lower, like, we'd, we'd give him a lower score. Negative 5.0, for me, absolutely, Roger Clemens. I was at Yankee Stadium in uh, 2000 at the game where he hit Piazza in the head with a fastball. And the sound of that fastball hitting his helmet and the hush that went over the whole stadium when Piazza went down. And even the Yankee fans, like, they knew they could not look you in the eye afterwards. They knew what a low life this guy was. Another perfect example of the negative 5.0. And, and we've said a lot of nice things about the Braves of the of the 90s, but we have to circle back now. Negative um, 5.0 on the far scale, absolutely, for John Rocker, um, who epitomizes the worst in what you can have in a baseball player. You know, I really thought you were going to say Mark Lemke there. <laughs> I was surprised that you went with John Rocker. Um, yeah, John Rocker, definitely a negative 5.0. Um, you know, I was at the first game um, that John Rocker um, was at Shea Stadium post the seven train comments. I'm sure everybody listening to this remembers this, but after the 99 season, um, John Rocker in a Sports Illustrated article said some homophobic, racist, just flat out terrible things about the people of New York and about um, 
the the Mets and the fans and the city and basically just made himself uh, he put a big target on his back. Basically said, Hey New York, I don't care that you hate me. I'm John F. and Rocker. So in June of two thousand, I made a trip back to Long Island and I ended up going to that first game that the Braves played at Chase Stadium that year. And it was a big deal because John Rocker was coming back to New York. And the Mets promptly fell behind seven runs. And then in the seventh inning, basically went crazy. Like, suddenly the bats woke up. The crowd was out for blood. You know, John Rocker wasn't even in the game at this point. But it was as if with every hit and every run the Mets got, the crowd was saying, screw you, John Rocker. That inning, that seventh inning ends with Mike Piazza absolutely smoking a ball off of the Newsday sign. <laughs> I think it was the Newsday sign. I'm doing this from memory. Off of the Newsday sign in left field. One of the hardest hit baseballs I've ever seen in my life. Like it's one of those things where there are certain plays that I sort of still see in my sleep years later. And 17 years after the fact, I just still see Mike Piazza smoking that baseball. Like... That and and, and Daryl Strawberry, just that, that long swing. Like, I will tell you that, like, on my deathbed, the last thing, no offense to my wife or my family or anyone else, but probably the last thing I will see on this earth is in my head seeing that Mike Piazza shot off of <laughs> the Newsday sign because it was, it was such a big deal, and it felt so big, and it felt like we were saying, like, Screw you, John Rocker. And, you know, we all know how the 2000 season ended. The Mets, you know, made it all the way to the World Series, where they faced Roger Clemens. Oh, and we all know what happened there. Now, I take, I have a little bit of a disagreement with you, Jay, on where Roger Clemens falls on this scale. Okay. Because take all of the PED stuff and all of the stuff that happened in, you know, 2000s, and even into 2001. Um, fact remains that Roger Clemens, an argument, not even an argument, like, if you just look at the numbers, Roger Clemens is the best pitcher in Major League history. And we don't, we don't like him, and we don't want to say that, but I feel like you have to have a very grudging respect Roger Clemens. As far as I'm concerned, he can trade memories with Ty Cobb in <laughs> hell. I put him on the positive because it turns into that, and I, you know, from him being a player, it turns into a thing you have to watch. To quote Susan Waldman, "Oh my goodness, goodness gracious, <laughs> Roger Clemens." I put him on the positive side. So did, did Rocker get into that game? Rocker, I have to check the box score. I believe yeah. he did get into that game. And what uh, what kind of perception did he um, receive? Not a good one. Yeah. Was that the one where, the one, like I say, this happened only one time, but I do remember, um, um, I do remember him coming into games where people would be like throwing stuff at him as he was running in from the bullpen. Yeah. And I gotta say, if you're a fan, don't do that. Yeah. Don't throw, don't throw things on the field. Don't run on the field. Yeah. Um, any other examples of you would put as a as a top positive, far or negative? Well, I think a lot about um, our current relationship with Chase Utley. 
mm-hmm. and how um, as venomous as we may feel towards him, he's probably a negative two, two point four. Um, I mean, and part of that is, and we can get into you know deciding what what's what's the difference between negative four and a negative two point four. And so you know when Utley broke Ruben Tejada's leg. Um, he was quiet. He didn't, uh, make any, you know, loud claims of his innocence. He just sort of sat there and took the questions and we all booed him and we had a great time booing him and, and the play was awful and he's, you know, he's notorious for that kind of stuff. So that's why he's on the negative side. Um, but he was an ass about it, which is why he's in the negative twos. I would say uh, another strong negative. He's retired now, but AJ Przinsky. Mm. AJ Przinsky, one of the all-time jerks of Major League mm. Baseball, but not good enough as a player right. to get a five, but a solid negative four. And I have to say, this this one is a hard one for me to admit. Um, and I know other people would probably rate him higher, but I'd say positive three point eight for Derek Jeter. Um, and that's really hard for me to say because he's one of the greatest players we've ever seen. And the number of times that he would do stuff on the field where you just thought, how the hell did he do that? And it's really hard for us as Met fans to give that kind of respect to a Yankee great. Um, but I feel like you kind of have to. Did you say Jeter? <laughs> yes, the guy who may soon be the owner of the Marlins. I don't remember him. No? No. Did he, who did he play for? Uh, well, he was on that show Evening Shade with Burt Reynolds. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe that's a different Jeter. I don't um, know. It's yeah. weird. I don't really remember. Okay. I don't remember this Jeter character. But I always had a, a respect for Bernie Williams. Solid player. Seemed like a decent dude. Um, Paul O'Neill would be a negative... 2.2. That is a guy who never, ever had a ball pitched to him that was a strike if he didn't swing at it. Every single pitch that he took, he complained about. I, I think it would be interesting, if you're listening to this, and, and I don't know why you would be listening to this and not be a Mets fan, <laughs> but if by chance you're not a Mets fan, I would love to know who are the... Mets players who make you feel good or bad, positive or negative. And uh, if you are a Mets fan, who are the opponents who we haven't mentioned who either on the positive feelings or negative feelings? And as I look at sort of the current list of players, I look at like a Clayton Kershaw as a as a positive five. Just because when Kershaw's playing, you stop and you watch. Um, a tough one is where do we put... Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper's an interesting case. I think Bryce Harper right now is probably, for me, a negative 0.8. But he has the potential to become a Chipper Jones. Mm -hmm. Or he has the potential to become a Roger Clemens. He's sort of in this zone where where we're waiting to see who he becomes – um, as a rival, yeah. and and I really hope that that he makes the right choice. I I have to say, like I I get very excited as a just a baseball fan. Like I I think Bryce Harper is amazing, really fun to watch. If you're not a Mets fan, 
you know, like Mike Trout. I left Mike Trout off of the list since the Mets don't play the Angels very yeah. often. Um, so I'm trying to keep this to players that we see relatively frequently. Well, we should definitely try and get into a conversation on uh, social. On yeah, which let's this. definitely talk about this some more because I have yeah. some very strong feelings about a former Met who is now um, a thorn in the Met side and an opponent in Daniel Murphy. Oh, yeah. Um, and I don't know quite how I feel about that. I think I have yeah. to process this. Let's save the rest for social and we can kind of see what other people feel. Sure. Uh, we can explore this new stat, uh, far feelings above replacement player, and let's make this a thing. Let's like let's get people using this. I wanna I wanna get this on the telecasts. I am heading to Dodger Stadium tonight to um, see the Dodgers and Diamondbacks play, just because it's good to get to a baseball game. So I'm gonna try to share this amongst uh, the crowd. Cool. See if we can get this going. Um, see maybe where Paul Goldschmidt. Sits mm, amongst right. the feelings about replacement amongst Dodger fans. But I think we should probably start wrapping this up. Sure. So um, so what are you looking forward to over well, the next two weeks? Over the next two weeks, a couple things. First, I'm looking forward to more wins. <laughs> I'm looking forward, as I told you before, I like to look at the schedule and project win after win after win. So by the time we do this again in two weeks, the Mets will have put another 13 or 14 W's in the win column. <laughs> but let's get started you know, we've got a weekend series that we're in the middle of against Florida. I hope that the Mets, um, you know, have a good showing tomorrow and on Sunday. I'm looking forward to the next series against the Braves and seeing their new stadium. Mm-hmm. There's no secret that Turner Field, for whatever reason, was just a horrible place for the Mets to play. They just could never seem to win anything in that place. So I'm hoping that... Um, the new stadium has different uh, mojo to it. I am I am so happy to see Turner Field go. I don't know that I've ever been so happy to say goodbye to an opponent's stadium. My favorite stat is that Bartolo Colon's career has lasted longer than Turner Field did. Yeah, Bartolo outlasted the stadium. I'm looking forward to the Nationals coming to City Field. Next weekend, I will be at City Field. Um... For the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday games. So if you're listening to this and you are going to one of those games, please find me. I don't know. I'll be the guy in the Mets t-shirt <laughs> at the game. Actually, I may be the guy in the Binghamton Rumble Ponies t-shirt as I got one of those in the mail yesterday. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to these Nationals games. Um, that, Like I said, it's it's. I think there's a potential for some things to get decided early. Or if one of the two teams... Um, wins five out of six of those games or six out of six of those games. It's going to upend the entire year. Um, so there's a lot at stake really, really early on. Yeah, this next two weeks could determine are the Mets going to be playing from behind or are they going to be playing with a lead? Yeah. And I obviously hope that they're playing with a lead. It's been so long since they've played from a lead, I don't really remember what it's like. Well, I remember the last time they played with a lead, and they were playing with a big lead about ten years ago. Oh. Late in the season. I blocked this out. When I found myself, I was in New York in September of 2007. Oh. And I sat outside of a bar downtown, talking to another Mets fan, and I said, words that I will rue to the day I die, I said... Hey, the Mets are up seven games with 17 to go. Plus, it's the Phillies. 
There's nothing to worry about. Oh, so it's your fault. And that was the last time the Mets uh, played with a lead. Uh, and here we are. So, one, you can blame me. Two, let's get a lead first and then worry about what happens. All right, well, we'll check back in in a couple of weeks and we'll see what the landscape looks like. Thanks a lot, Will. Thank you, Jay. And once again, uh, if you're listening to this on whatever podcasting platform, uh, please give us a review, give us a rating, uh, shout out on uh, Twitter. We're at Flushing Transit on Twitter. And let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.